1: And a pleasant good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTRadio.com and on the WSBT Radio app. Also, for a second day, we are available on the Twitch app. Just search 960 WSBT or Sports Radio 960 WSBT and you will find our twitch page and you can watch the program live via the free twitch app it is seven minutes after five o'clock on this tuesday july the 12th of 2022 my name is darren pritchett hope you're having a terrific tuesday thanks for stopping by this program is on the air until seven o'clock tonight another full two hours of budweiser's weekday sports beat because the south bend cubs are back in the central time zone. They're going to take on the St. Louis Cardinals affiliate, the Peoria Chiefs tonight in game 1 of a six-game series from the land of Lincoln first pitch at 7:35. Pre-game coverage starts at 7:20 here on WSBT Radio. Coming up on the program this evening, in our next segment we'll have our Twitter question of the day at 5:40. One of the greatest golfers of all time, Tiger Woods, will play in the Open Championship, which starts Thursday at St. Andrews. It is the 150th Open Championship. And unfortunately, not a lot of the talk is about that historic milestone for the championship. It's about still the Live Golf Tour, the Saudi Arabian-backed tour that many great golfers have elected to go to. Tiger Woods, very outspoken today about those individuals. We'll play back his comments and we'll discuss the impact of the Live Golf Tour going forward coming up in our segment at 540. The My 5 question of the day at 550. The top five players right now on the Chicago Bears roster, do I have Justin Fields In my top five, I'll tell you coming up in just a little bit. At 6.06, Mike Singer is going to rejoin the program, the Notre Dame Football Recruiting Insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We have a lot to talk about in this particular segment. And one of the main things I want to discuss with Mike is Austin Novosad. Do you know who Austin Novosad is? Well, he's a class of 2023 quarterback that has been verbally committed to the Baylor Bears for some time. But Notre Dame has been pushing very hard for this young man. After Dante Moore, you could tell he was moving away from Notre Dame and eventually on Friday picked the University of Oregon. So is there a chance the Irish could change the mind of this young quarterback? But right now, Nova said, is a Baylor commit, so we will talk to Mike about him. Also, Jaden Greathouse, one of the top wide receivers in the country, is going to make his commitment known to everybody later on this week. So we'll ask Mike if he believes Notre Dame is the leader for Jaden Greathouse. That's all coming up at the 6 o'clock hour when we talk to Mike Singer. And we'll have our sports wagering segment right around 6.30 here on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. So sit back and relax. We got plenty to talk about. The football season's right around the corner, and it is never too early to talk football. In fact, just as I was coming on the air, saw a report from Mike Garofolo from the NFL Network, and he is reporting that the Chicago Bears are acquiring a former first-round pick from the New England Patriots wide receiver in-keel Harry. Now, at this particular time, I don't see what's coming back to the New England Patriots, and it looks like Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network has chimed in. The Bears are giving up a seventh-round pick in 2024 to take a shot at in-keel Harry. So let's give you a little background on Harry. First off, he was a first-round pick of the New England Patriots in 2019. He was the 32nd overall pick in that particular draft out of Arizona State. It has never worked out between Harry and the New England Patriots. His rookie year, 2019, played in seven games, had 12 catches for 105 yards and two touchdowns. Then you had the COVID 2020 season, 14 games played for Inkeel Harry with New England, 33 catches for 309 yards and two touchdowns. And then last season with the Patriots, 12 games, 12 catches, 184 yards, and no touchdowns. Not the type of numbers you're expecting if you're a Patriots fan when you take a young man in the first round like Harry. So this is a spot in which, once again, the Patriots have really struggled with their draft. They had to go out and buy a lot of players last offseason to try to stay competitive with the best team now in their division, the Buffalo Bills. So it's not like Belichick and the Patriots have been hitting home runs through the draft. This is a situation where it did not work out. He's 6'4", 225, so he's a big target. He's still only 24. He'll turn 25 on December 17th. So the Bears are basically buying a lottery ticket. They're hoping that they fall into something with Inkeel Harry. He's a young man with a lot of potential coming out of Arizona State. The Patriots could not get that out of him. And the Bears are a football team outside of Darnell Mooney. Do you feel comfortable with what they have at wide receiver? I've said for a while now, I just don't understand not revving up the quality of talent at wide receiver with your new coaching staff, new offense, and a second-year quarterback that needs some targets to throw the football to. Mooney looks like he's going to be a steal for the Bears, turning out to be a terrific player. I still think there is another level to former Notre Dame tight end Cole Komet's game with the Chicago Bears. You know, with some other tight ends now out of the way, he should have a full-time opportunity this year, and maybe he can be even more involved in the passing game this year. But the wide receiver position just looks a little thin in Chicago, and the Bears are taking a shot on Keel Harry, in apostrophe keal Harry, a 6'4", 24-year-old wide receiver out of Arizona State, Patriots first-round pick back in 2019. So that's one Chicago news story today. This isn't exactly breaking news. This has been ongoing for some time now, but there's also another story developing in Chicago, and it's the Hall of Fame manager of the Chicago White Sox. He has received a ton of criticism this year with the White Sox struggling High expectations going into the year. Injuries have been a factor, but this team just looks lifeless. And they lose today to Cleveland by a score of four to one. And there was another quote-unquote incident in the game. That's part of our first pitch conversation today on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. <laughs>
0: The first pitch of uh, the first pitch of the night, and we are ready for the first pitch of- into the windup
2: and his first offering, just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed.
1: Well, today's first pitch is how do the White Sox get out of their current dilemma, or maybe I should say dilemmas, plural. The main dilemma is. How in the world do you turn around this baseball team that is supposed to win the America League Central and maybe win it going away? But right now on July 12th, after the White Sox lost to the Guardians today in Cleveland 4-1 in game one of a doubleheader, the White Sox are 41-45, a 477 winning percentage. Third place in the division, they are... Right now, two and a half games behind second place Cleveland in the division. And after the loss today, the White Sox are now six games behind first place Minnesota. The White Sox have not been good at home at all. 19 and 25 at guaranteed rate field. They've actually been a little better on the road, 22 and 20. Run differential to me has always been a good stat doesn't tell the whole story, but I think it's a fair stat over a long season. Right now, the White Sox have given up 44 more runs than they have scored this year. Now it has not helped with the fact that Yon Moncada started the year on the injured list with an oblique, missed a little over a month. Aloy Jimenez, early on in the season, suffered an injury. He just came back within the last week. Lance Lynn missed the first couple of months of the season the ace of the White Sox rotation. He's back, but he has not been overly effective so far this year. Liam Hendricks has been on the disabled list. So that's part of the personnel conversation in terms of level of play and injuries. The other dilemma is the Hall of Fame manager of the White Sox, Tony La Russa. I am an apologist for Tony. Having the opportunity to watch him year after year run my team in St. Louis, I am a huge LaRusa guy. I will defend him in almost every situation. I love the way he managed a game. He basically created the, what we have in bullpens today, the matchups. He did that with the Oakland A's back in the 80s, he revolutionized bullpens. He will stand up for his players. He will not allow the media to criticize his guys. He will bark at the media if they try to say something about his guys. But that may not be a good thing right now. Interesting story that is unfolding right now surrounding La Russa. Then we'll get to what happened today. So Bob Nightingale is a baseball insider for USA Today, a longtime baseball writer, credible guy. So he has a story out, and he also talked about this story on 670, the score on Monday on the Parkins and Spiegel show. And this story centers around the fact that morale is very low right now in the Chicago White Sox clubhouse amid the team's disappointing season and tensions are very high. Now Nightingale revealed on Sunday that some of the things he is hearing includes unrest, clicks and a lack of player leadership inside the White Sox clubhouse and these things have spread like wildfire across the league. Now, Nightingale went on six seventy the score and talked about what he had written. And Nightingale did not back down from the standpoint he said that his sources are saying that the rumors have come directly from White Sox players expressing their displeasure to other teams and coaches. So Nightingale got the White Sox players' side of this from other teams and coaches. Here's what Nightingale had to say, quote, The answer I get, just inside the clubhouse, I mean, guys are complaining about Tony La Guys complain about the front office and things like that. But when it comes down to it, everybody is saying there's really no leadership in that clubhouse, end quote. That's a major problem. The game of baseball is driven by statistics. It is an analytically driven game. The analytics can almost manage the game itself. In a lot of organizations, the analytics do manage the game. The gut decision is being taken out of the game by front offices that are all in on analytics. So the White Sox are in a situation right now where a lot of their fans have been furious with some of La Russa's decisions this year. I could probably pick many, let's narrow it down to two. He continues to play Leary Garcia a lot despite not having a great offensive season and he will bat him high in the lineup. And within the last week, Garcia had a big hit, and Tony went out of his way to praise Garcia because he knows the criticism he's getting from the fan base about his use of Larry Garcia. Another is some of the managerial decisions within the game. I just talked about the analytics driving the game. Well, you might recall when the Dodgers and the White Sox played, and I don't remember the exact details, but... I think, wasn't it, White Sox fans, a one-two count on Trey Turner, one of the star hitters for the Dodgers. They have many. And he decided to intentionally walk him with two strikes. What? I will defend the guy to a point, but that decision made absolutely no sense. We fast-forward to today. Jose Ramirez is by far the best hitter that the Cleveland Guardians have. And Ramirez hurt the White Sox in the third inning today with a two RBI single that put Cleveland in front of the White Sox, three nothing. Can you pitch around Ramirez there? Possibly, yes. Fast forward to the fifth inning. It is four nothing Cleveland. The Guardians have a runner on second base, two outs. And Jose Ramirez is back at the plate. The first pitch from the starter, Davis Martin was fouled off by Ramirez. So Martin did a good job of jumping in front of Ramirez. So the count is 0-1. From there, things get interesting. This audio courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago, Jason Benetti on the play-by-play, the great Steve Stone on the Color analysts to the ball game, and I think their disbelief tells the whole story. So again, remember it's an 0-1 count on Jose Ramirez. So
2: the Sox threw him a pitch. Yeah, they threw him one pitch, and then they decided to walk him. Apparently, didn't like that pitch, but they're putting him at first base now, which is usually a good thing. Would have been nicer with a one-to-nothing score, but better late than never.
1: Can I ask why you would do it after a pitch?
2: No, I, I have no idea.
1: I'm not. I can't. I yeah, can't ask.
2: I got, no, uh, no, you can. You can definitely ask. <laughs> okay. I, I can't tell you why, but you can ask.
1: Yeah. 0-1 count. Larusa intentionally walked Ramirez. It's for nothing at that point. I don't see the rationale. Steve Stone, a terrific pitcher at the major league baseball level, as fair and as good of an analyst anywhere you'll find in baseball. He is not afraid to speak his mind. You might recall back in the day, some of the Chicago Cubs players didn't like his frankness when he was the Cubs analyst. There was the infamous call by Kent Merker from the clubhouse up to the press box upset at some of the things that the broadcast team was saying, including Steve Stone. Stoney's great, and he knows the game as well as anybody. And for him to be speechless about that decision by Tony LaRusa says a lot. And I don't need to say any more. That's a respected guy, a 20 game winner. And he was absolutely stunned at what LaRusa did. And it does make absolutely no sense. And he's done this twice. It is so out of character. After watching him all these years in St. Louis, he's doing things that just don't make any sense. And I just can't believe the game has passed him by. You don't win all those ball games throughout your lifetime by accident. The White Sox brought him back to help this team get over the hump. Remember the disaster in the playoffs against Oakland, Rick Renneria trying to manage that bullpen in a deciding game of a series? It was one of the worst managerial jobs you'll see. LaRusick was brought in to fix those problems. But the fact that the players are saying there's no leadership in the clubhouse, that is awfully concerning. And many White Sox fans, I didn't necessarily agree, but I will tip my cap to those Sox fans that were worried about. And you hate to bring this up, but the age differential between this young White Sox team and Tony, who's in what, his upper 70s? There's a big difference. Young guys today do things a whole lot differently than young guys did 20, 30, 40 years ago. This is a young, vibrant White Sox team with great personalities like Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Jose Abreu. Lance Lynn has a unique personality, a little more on the grumpy side. Liam Hendricks, man, that guy, if he's in the clubhouse, storming around like he does in the mound, that would be interesting. But a manager, again, the analytics drives the game. From a managerial standpoint, my biggest concerns are always this. Do you handle your pitching staff effectively? If you can't do that, you should not be a major league manager. And that caused Rick Renteria to get fired, and he's not picked up another managerial job since. The other thing is take care of your clubhouse. Some guys you got to pat on the back, some guys you got a baby, some guys you got to put your size 13 foot in their backside. You got to take care of the clubhouse. It can't run itself. There are normally 26 or 27 different personalities in that locker room. You have to mesh them. And to hear this, that is as concerning as anything that is happening from a decision-making standpoint on the field for the White Sox. So the Sox lose today 4-1 with that wild intentional walk. Ozzie Guillen, the former manager who played for Tony La Russa as a member of the White Sox. He's one to defend Tony La Russa, but not today. These were some of Ozzy's comments on NBC Sports Chicago's post-game show following the White Sox loss to the Cleveland Guardians 4-1.
3: Yeah. Well where you're a Hall of Famer,
1: you know nothing to lose. The
3: reason Tony Russo came here to direct this ball club better than Rick Granteria. Mm-hmm. Not, it's true? Okay, here's your Tony. If I know I nothing to lose, is I going to take that job? I don't care who like me or who not. We're going to do it this way. Why? Is I get fired, thank you very much. I'm leaving. Thank you, Jerry, for the new opportunity. Thank you, guys. But I ain't put up with that, watching that type of baseball. I don't. I don't, I, I get fired, I come back and say, Chuck, I go with you guys back? I know I have nothing <laughs> to lose. Nothing to lose. Yeah. That's the reason Tony La got see. that job it's because true. they was ready to win. If you do that to another manager, kid, okay, here it is. Well, you know, my boys, my babies, oh, they play hard, they play hard and you know, They almost come back, we have a good about. I saying that, but when you Tony a rusa, who from here you go, ho- go home or be walking somewhere out being baseball Because he's a, he's a baseball genius. That's how much I love that man, how much I respect the man. But you don't have nothing to lose, we gotta, we gotta dance this music. Yeah. If you know want to dance that music, and the DJ get off the floor. It looks like he is believing in these guys, so he continues. So to, do we. So he continues to defend. But them. so do we. I believe in those guys. Yeah. We here, I don't protect anybody. I just chose, a yes, we have opportunity because. The products, the 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 place they have on the field. Yeah. I think they can compete against everyone. Mm-hmm. But you keep saying, well, you know, well, you know, no, we don't know. We're, we see no sense of urgency. No. There no, zero sense of urgency. We're at the second half. And I don't like it. I don't like that. I don't like that because Tony, Tony, you know me. I'm the first and the only defender for Tony Rusa for last two years. But if you know, I've nothing to lose. My a minute, it's gonna be my way. I'm 82 years old. From here, I go home. And relax. If I get fired, good for me. But I'm going to get fired my way. Not to protect somebody. Don't fight for me. Mm-hmm. If I want to protect the guy, fight for me. But you, I don't see anybody fight for me. Why I, I should be, feel bad about them and protect them. No. That's negatory. Yeah. That's, that gonna, and you can put Tony Russa right here next to me. I will say the same stuff. The way I love him. Mm-hmm. The way I admire him. I will say the same stuff about him. I said, you know what? I'm a little disappointed because I thought you would be the guy. Who... <laughs> I want to say that, but I don't know. This is it. unacceptable. No, yeah, but I want to say that, but I don't know. It's, it should be that. This looks like Rick Renteria with credential. They're not. Uh, it looked like. Because he's. I, I hear what you're saying because what you, the way you're looking at as. Rick was uh, same, you know, was, nice. was was not being uh, an authority like in terms of being tough on them. Maybe the game changed. No, the game not changed. Mm-hmm. We change the people out there with the uniform change the game. Mm-hmm. And not the way they, the the T A says. What did you say, T A, the, the slogan you got. Uh, change the game. Change the game. No, you change the game playing the right way and change the game winning. Mm-hmm. That's the way to change the game. Listen, we're not going to put up with this stuff. Tony used to say that a lot. I when get, he was your manager, yes. Uh, by the way, I get paid to win games. As a manager, I get paid to win games. I ain't gonna, you know, get paid and see that because they'll go on me. They all go me. I, it's how many times you see they fire 27 players. Yeah, we, so we've been talking managers. amongst ourselves, wondering when he would do something, say something like you're saying hasn't happened yet. He, you know, says little things here and there, but I think I, you what you're what saying I say this, is. I hope somebody told Tony, I see just killing you on TV just because I want him. Not because he's a bad manager. It's just I want him to be that guy. Yeah. Dave White sucks me, that guy. Yeah. Just yes, because I think players, um, you know, acting the way you manage it is, the way you manage to talk. And I don't see that when they hire Tony, and say yes. But nowadays, like, oh, this is a Rick Renteria with, with credentials. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like it. I don't like it.
1: He is Rick Renteria with credentials. Woof, that's a very interesting way of putting it. Couple of things. I get very uneasy when people who are watching their baseball team play say there is no sense of urgency. The team is flat. They didn't come ready to play today. Because sometimes you have to tip your cap to the opposition. They make you look sluggish. You face Max Scherzer, and you get three hits, no runs, in nine innings. Oftentimes, well, they weren't ready to play today. You know, sometimes... The other team is just better than you. But I will say this. There isn't that fire right now in this White Sox club. They just seem to be on cruise control, and that is extremely concerning. They are not fighting for themselves, and it appears from the outside looking in, they are not fighting for their manager. That is one very good reason to move on from a manager. When the players aren't responding and that lack of urgency is noticed on the field consistently, not just one game or two games, but consistently, that is a very good reason to make a change in the dugout. Now, in terms of defending players, that is something Tony has always done. I do know for a fact that when he was in St. Louis, He could be very hard on his players in the locker room. There were times that the old refreshment table got flipped over at the end of a harsh conversation with his team. Now, is he doing that with the White Sox? I don't know. Only the players and Tony and anybody in that locker room knows that. But I just don't see Tony changing at this point in his career that he's going to all of a sudden start being critical players on his team. He was a player. That's why he's sensitive about criticism from the media and fans because he knows how difficult the game is. I don't think that's going to change. And I'm not really sure at this point if what we're hearing is true that there is no leadership in the clubhouse. The players are frustrated with their manager. If Tony goes off on a couple of players after tonight's second game if they lose, that's only going to make it worse. I don't see at this point how that's going to be a positive. If you have the respect of your locker room, then you can go out and deliver a message to the fans through the media. But if the players are not responding to you, like Nightingale is talking about from USA Today Nothing good is going to come from being extra critical toward players in the media. That has to be done in the locker room, man-to-man, saying, you're not doing the job, you got to do this, 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 or we're moving on from you. So even though I agree with Ozzie to an extent, sometimes you have to be critical. But at this point, I don't think it does Tony any good. I don't think it does the White Sox any good. It might just cause an even worse fracture than what is already being reported by individuals like Bob Nightingale. You're kind of getting to the point of the season that this could slip away from the Sox. This is a huge week for Chicago. There are 162 games. These eight games are a part of the 162. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got four in Cleveland, including the doubleheader today, and then starting Thursday, you've got four at Minnesota. Those are the two teams ahead of you in the standings. And if you lay an egg this week, that could be the beginning of the end for this White Sox team because they have shown no consistent level of play that makes you believe things are going to turn around dramatically over the next couple of months. In this eight-game stretch, if you go 1-7, 2-6, and, seven, two and six, It's almost time to start looking ahead to 2023. I hate to do that. You never know. Things can change. I saw it last year when St. Louis won 17 in a row, which was kind of a fluke, but it happened. It counted. That just doesn't seem like that will happen with this White Sox team. So I guess here's my final thought. If you have a disastrous week against the Guardians and the Twins, and if all of this... Nightingale's story is true about the fracturing of the White Sox clubhouse and the lack of leadership I don't see how Jerry Reinsdorf and his staff do not make a change. It's unacceptable the talent on this team unacceptable to be six games out of first place in the American League Central and heck throw away the six games it's about the mediocre level of play that the White Sox have given their fans throughout the year I love Tony. He'll always be my favorite manager, but he's just, for whatever reason, not the same manager right now. It doesn't make sense why he's making a few of these decisions that he makes. You hate to be critical of Tony. He's in the Hall of Fame and we're not, but a couple of the intentional walks, including today, I just don't see how he can put forth an argument for them. So it's going to be an interesting week. Can they turn things around tonight? you got Dylan Cease on the mound. You have the advantage on the mound as he faces Connor Pilkington. If you lose this game, you feel like a sweep in Cleveland is going to happen, and then you go to Minnesota wounded, and they could deliver a knockout punch. At that point, maybe over the All-Star break, the White Sox seriously have to consider firing their Hall of Fame manager, for a second time 538 is our time i'm darren pritchett coming up next our sports beat twitter question of the day on sports radio 960 wsbt
0: this is the budweiser's weekday sports beat twitter question of the day from sports radio 960 wsbt
1: 543 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sportsbeat continues. Darren Pritchett with you. My Twitter account is at 960 Beat. Each weekday I post a question for you to vote on. And here was yesterday's question. Taking out of the equation weather concerns. Which playing surface would you rather have your favorite football team play on? natural grass, field turf, or I really don't care. I'm just ready to watch football. Well, after all the votes were tabulated, coming in third place in the voting, doesn't matter to me, 19.3%. Coming in second in the voting, field turf. But field turf only got 21.6% of the vote. Landslide winner Natural Grass got 59.1% of the vote. I'm with you. Nothing better than Natural Grass seeing that sod fly in the air. Maybe there's a couple of muddy spots on the field like the good old days when you used to watch some of the NFL films. What was it? The Colts, Giants, NFL Championship. You had all that mud on the field. That's good stuff. Now, there are many places, including right here in South Bend, where natural grass makes a ton of sense considering where our location is and the weather we deal with, but I'm with the majority. Natural grass is the best way to go. Thanks for voting. We have today's question up. It's in regard to college basketball. I know, way too early, but let's just have a little fun. ESPN college basketball bracketologist Joe Lenardi. Has come out with his new NCAA basketball tournament projection. He put it out earlier today. Which of these three projections do you think will end up being the most accurate? Your three choices Indiana, a four seed in the NCAA tournament, the Purdue Boilermakers, a seven seed, or the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame an 11 seed so again Joe Lenardi the bracketologist from ESPN put out his most recent projections for this year's NCAA tournament which of these three projections will be the most accurate the Hoosiers as a 4 seed the Boilermakers as a 7 or the Irish as an 11 seed you can vote right now on my Twitter account at 960 sportsbeat And just taking a look at the early voting, it's a two-horse race between Notre Dame and Purdue. There is a lot of love going on with this Indiana basketball team. John Rothstein, a steam college basketball writer for CBS Sports, he says the Big Ten goes through Bloomington this year. Is John and a bunch of people just drinking the Kool-Aid with the way Indiana finished last season and disregarding what happened earlier in the year? Now they have some interesting recruits coming in. I'm just not totally sold it's going to go through Bloomington just like that. You take a look at what Michigan has. And Illinois brought in one heck of a recruiting class and two of the best grad transfers in the country to their program. The expectation is by the time the Big Ten season starts, they might be better than last year's team. That was a four-seed in the NCAA tournament. Now, when you're dealing with freshmen, you never know, but there's some real high-end talent. Shannon from Texas Tech joined the team. I'm just not going to go all in on Indiana quite yet. But vote now, vote often. Go to my Twitter account at 960-960 sports beat 548 is our time more sports speed coming up in just a moment don't forget mike singer notre dame football recruiting insider for blue and gold illustrated blue and gold.com will kick off the six o'clock hour on sports radio 960 wspt
0: One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Here we go with today's question. NFL camps are going to be opening in, well, less than a week, at least for Buffalo and Las Vegas, who will play in the Hall of Fame game in Canton. Bears not too far after that. So let's get in the football mood. Who are the top five players right now? on the Chicago Bears roster. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. Let's start with the running back position and David Montgomery. I thought the Bears missed him last year when he was injured. Montgomery, a third round pick out of Iowa State in 2019. That turned out to be a terrific pick by Chicago. 714 carries for Montgomery in his Bears career for 2,808 yards and 21 rushing touchdowns. Very effective, catching the football out of the backfield. 121 receptions for 924 yards and three touchdowns. So you add up all those numbers, that's about 3,700 yards of total offense over 44 games covering three seasons in the NFL playing for the Chicago Bears. And the offensive line should be better this year. We'll see what the new offense brings, but I'm expecting David Montgomery to be an elite player for the bears this season four coming in at number four is edge rusher robert quinn coming off a career year last year with chicago quinn had 18 and a half sacks to go along with 49 tackles quinn now with 101 career sacks Can't say he's over the hump yet. I mean, 18-and-a-half sacks was a terrific season for a 30-something edge rusher in the National Football League.
3: Okay, okay. Uh, Number
1: three. Who are the top five players on the Bears roster? Coming in at number three, wide receiver Darnell Mooney. Boy, this is a terrific fifth-round pick by the Bears in 2020. From the green wave of Tulane, Mooney last year with an offense that made you want to scratch your head watching it as a Bears fan. He overcame Matt Nagy and a rookie quarterback. Mooney, 81 catches, 1,055 yards and four touchdowns, and I think there is still another level of play that Mooney can reach as a Bears wide receiver. But, of course, they're going to need really good play from the quarterback position, and that means the second-year guy out of Ohio State Justin Fields taking a big step. Number two. I've got cornerback Jalen Johnson, a second-round pick out of Utah in 2020. This kid looks like he is developing into a Pro Bowl-type talent. He is turning into a lockdown corner for this Chicago Bears football team. Matt Flus, the new head coach of the Bears, the former Colts defensive coordinator, he has something to build around on the outside with cornerback Jalen Johnson.
0: Number one.
1: I did not have Justin Fields in my top five. He's just not ready to go in that spot yet. Long way to go again, considering the offensive coaches he had and the play calling didn't have much of a shot last year. Number one for me, anyway, is linebacker Roquan Smith out of the University of Georgia. Four years in the National Football League for Smith. He has went over 100 tackles in each of the four years, including 163 tackles in two thousand and 21 that's the my five question of the day the top five players currently on the Chicago Bears roster it was tough not putting Fields on there but I just feel like when he earns that particular spot we'll put him on there right now as a rookie it's tough in the NFL it's tough when you have the coaching staff he was working with but let's don't put him up there yet he still has to perform Against the best talent in the world. 557 is our time. What we saw at Ohio State sure looks like he can play. Now, can he get it done in the NFL? We'll talk some Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer coming up in just a little bit. As we get the 6 o'clock hour started, sports center update is on the way, so stick around for that. You're listening to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, brought to you by Budweiser, the King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company. Of South Bend, baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop. Where new beginnings have happy endings.
0: Leading off the six o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That
1: boy's good.
0: Number nine. Nine times.
1: Nine times.
0: Nine times. A Midwest League champion.
1: Adios! Walk off home run, Eloy Jimenez.
0: Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. Here's Darren Pritchett.
1: Welcome to hour number two of Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the fighting hours, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We're also recording this right now to be viewed on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Mike, good to be with you. Always great to talk to you about Notre Dame football recruiting. Feels kind of weird. We don't have any commitments to recap at this particular time after what it feels like we had one like every day for three weeks it's been incredible
2: I know I know but uh you never know there might be some good news around the corner so we'll just have to wait and see
1: all right there's pretty good tease right there let's talk quarterbacks this has been an interesting recruiting cycle the Irish get CJ Carr the 2024 recruit out of Michigan they still do not have a 2000. 23 quarterback now Austin Novosad comes on the scene from what I understand Mike he's a Baylor kid that Notre Dame has been in pursuit of I guess recently fill in the blanks about Notre Dame and Austin Novosad.
2: I don't think you can like talk about Notre Dame quarterback recruiting without first mentioning Dante Moore like it, it starts with with Dante Moore who was Um, Notre Dame's, it was him and Arch Manning, Notre Dame's first two quarterback offers of the 2023 class back in uh, March of 2021. I mean, Notre Dame pursued more for, you know, a year and a half and, uh, you know, seemed like for a few months there that they were the team to beat in his recruitment. It seemed like there was a shift right around the time CJ Carr committed that the Irish started to kind of fade away for, for more. Um, and, uh, you know, they they get C.J. Carr's commitment, um, and Dante uh, Carr committed, you know, early June. Moore just committed to Oregon this past Friday, Um, and uh, Notre Dame has, you know, kind of been behind the scenes, let's say maybe the past couple weeks, working on Austin Novasad from Dripping Springs, Texas, just outside of Austin, working on this young man to, uh, you know, kind of get the ball rolling on a scholarship offer and um, have a full story. Uh, at blueandgold.com, with, with him talking about the offer and, and where Notre Dame stands with him, it's definitely a, a good story to uh, read. So, he's been committed to Baylor since last um, December, and you know he still loves the the Bears. You know, I I I think that's probably the betting favorite right now. If that was if that was a thing, that he's going to stick with them. But he did officially visit Ohio State in June. Also, officially visited Baylor. Uh, and both of his parents went to Texas A&M. So those had been the three schools to kind of watch this summer. And then Notre Dame is kind of trying to sneak in and, and make a dent um, in, in his recruitment, hoping that, you know, he takes his time kind of making this final decision. So um, Marcus Sherman got on the phone with him Monday, offered him scholarship. You know, Tommy Reese has been talking for a couple of weeks. And, you know, he's at least willing to listen to Notre Dame. Um, so we'll, we'll see what the Fighting Irish can do here
1: mike i've always been told you should always take one quarterback in every single class again right now notre dame does not have one in the 23 class can i give you a hypothetical if things don't work out for any of these guys notre dame is going after and maybe they bring in a three-star quarterback just to have one in the class do you think that's going to affect this program in time or the fact that they have cj carr in the next class offsets that
2: you there and I don't know man I, I th- your last point is the is an important one like no matter what happens for Notre Dame in 23 at least you got a really darn good one coming in at 24 and I do think another kind of point on Notre Dame offering no sad is that I, I don't know if it puts to bed the CJ Carr potentially reclassifying to 2023 but it definitely kind of shows everybody that like, yeah it's probably not going to happen like they're they're already kind of on other players and my understanding is that I think Harper prefers to stay in the twenty-four class. But we'll kind of see what happens there. But um, look, I, I I don't know, Darren. It, it, so much kind of depends on. To answer that question, if Tyler Buckner's a, a stud this season and he stays healthy, then it's like all right, twenty-three is not as important because um, he's going to be starting, you know, for you know, two, three years. So whatever it is. Um, but if it's not. If he's not that guy, then I mean, are you looking at also maybe bringing in a transfer after the season? You know, you just you know, they're, they're, I think right now for for Notre Dame in the quarterback spot, all options are on the table. Which kind of yeah, you know, sounds like a good thing. So like, oh, go Notre Dame's got its options here, but I don't know. Like I, I feel like you would rather just know what know what the situation is. You know, like if if Notre Dame had something more committed, it's done. You feel good. About more and car, whatever you know, whatever it may be, maybe more and not car. I don't know, but it, it, there's just just a lot of uncertainty. But again, going back to what you said, they do have car, so that's really nice. But the difference between having car and more is more you get next season. <laughs> car, it, it's going to be two seasons. Hmm.
1: If I could ask you this, you've had time to reflect, and you touched on this in your opening comments. Is it coincidence that Dante Moore seemed to cool on Notre Dame when C.J. Carr committed? Best
2: guess on your part. Yeah, probably not. Um, I think it was a little bit of a perfect storm of Carr being ready to commit at the same time that Dante Moore looked to be trending away from Notre Dame. When I had been hearing that Dante Moore was looking to set up an official to Notre Dame for that June 17th weekend, and then he goes to A&M instead, that's, that's kind of a – that's a little bit of a red flag. Um, so, yeah, yeah it, it's uh, – I don't know, Darren. I don't know if I could write a book about it. I don't know if it was that crazy of a recruitment following Dante Moore, but, um, yeah, definitely some – you know, may, maybe more stories to be told at a different time.
1: Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Joining me on Budweiser's weekday sports beat, July 26th, just a couple of weeks away. A very important event is coming up at Notre Dame. Give our listeners and our viewers a little idea what's going to be happening at Notre Dame.
2: Yeah. So last summer, uh, I think it was July 27th. Actually, Notre Dame had a grill and chill. That's what they called it. Now that kind of sounds like a lame name, but the kids loved it. You know, the, so it's it's grilling and chilling and, you know, cornhole cookout, you know, just, just a good time hanging out with the Notre Dame coaches and players. So Notre Dame had a good bit of 2023 recruits on campus for it last year, players who eventually committed like Drake Bowen, um, Christian Gray, um, Preston Vinter, all, all prospects who have now, you know, or are now on Notre Dame's commit list. So the Irish are doing it again this summer Um for the 2024 class. So already a, a handful of big time players that blue and gold's reported will be visiting. Um, and, and there's a few maybes on the list as well. So will uh, go to blue and pinned at the top of our board. Uh, the loose emoji board is the master visitor list kind of keep things updated there for who's coming in that weekend, but it's already looking to be a, a strong weekend. And as we get closer, July uh, 26, um, we'll, we'll, we'll know more.
1: Was last year's event the one you told me about? You had sources say that the barbecue yes. had to be a little better?
2: That is, good. Yeah, that is correct, yeah. But um, sources tell me that uh, there, there will be better season. I don't know, Darren. I'm just joking with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's go to a wide receiver that Notre Dame is very interested in. Jaden Greathouse. sounds like he's going to be picking his school in just a couple of days. Mike, Notre Dame's had some recent success. Bringing in wide receivers, I guess, pardon the pun, but how great would it be to get Jaden as a part of this Irish class?
2: Yeah, we just talked about one uh, Austin area player in Austin Novosad, and uh, here's another one in in Jaden Greathouse. Um, He's announcing on July 15th. um, It's down to Notre Dame, Texas, South Carolina, and Oklahoma. The uh, on three recruiting prediction machine um, has the Irish listed with a 96.1% shot and I mean, obviously that's um, that's a very high percentage. I don't know if it's that high, but Notre Dame is the team to beat going into his announcement, and it would be a really impressive recruiting win going into Austin and beating out Texas for a wide receiver. That I, I hope that the Longhorns side after. You know, if, if this does happen, Notre Dame lands. I hope the Longhorn sign doesn't go, ah, wow, we didn't want him anyway. That's that's the worst. Um, it will be a really impressive recruiting win. Highly productive receivers, six two two twenty, 220. Um, the prototypical boundary-wide receiver. Um, I mean, Darren, he's, he's really good. You know, when Rico Flores committed to Notre Dame on July 3rd, you know, I talked about how, you know, technically sound he is just a really well-rounded player Jaden Greathouse fits that as well a guy who i think could play day one so my predictions on notre dame it has been for i think a couple months now if not longer and um we'll see on friday uh, but again i do like notre dame to land this four-star receiver
1: mike you're going to be enjoying a little vacation next week so let me play the what if game for a moment if great house picks notre dame how much has Notre Dame accomplished in recruiting at the wide receiver position in 2023? Because we knew it was going to be a big year. The Irish had to hit some home runs.
2: Yeah, kudos to Chancey to e. Stuckey. You know, like Notre Dame fans didn't really want Chancey e. Stuckey at first. You know, it was like, <laughs> oh, Jamarcus Marcus Shepard or Holman Wiggins, you know, who were at Purdue. And I think Sh- uh, Shepard's now at Washington and Wiggins still in Alabama. But a lot of Notre Dame fans, at least on our message board, were like, ah, oh, we won. You know, or or Stuckey's our last choice. And here he comes in. Braylon James, Notre Dame had been recruiting. He was not interested in Notre Dame, really. Stuckey comes in. Freeman, being Notre Dame's head coach, made a big difference there as well. But i going to give a ton of credit to Stuckey, landing Braylon James, another Austin area player. Um, landing Rico Flores, someone like I interviewed Rico yesterday actually, and he told me that you know he had a good relationship with El Alexander, um, but I they I don't think their personalities really clicked. Um, and Stucky and Freeman just kind of took over the recruitment. Notre Dame wasn't going to make Flores' initial top ten that he that he put out. He put out last winter. Notre Dame was included in it. He wasn't going to put the Fighting guys in there initially. And then you land Jade in Great House. I mean, it, th- and, even if they just end with three receivers in the class, I think you're you're going to call that a very successful group. Then you might get Ronan Hannifin out of Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, if Notre Dame lands Jeremiah Love, um, a running back recruit out of St. Louis, I wouldn't rule him out from a, potentially being a receiver one day. Notre Dame sources tell me that he is a, an outstanding um, slot receiver, so it, it's. It's a good feeling right now for, for Notre Dame Nation looking at receiver recruiting, something they haven't been able to say in a couple of years since that Dion Colsey, Lorenzo Styles class. Um, but, uh, yeah, Darren, it was a huge position of need. Cornerback was a huge position of need, and Notre Dame did well there. Um, or, or, you know, we'll, we'll see how it finishes out. I think they might be done at specifically corners in this class with Michael Bell and Christian Gray. Now it's just what do they do at quarterback?
1: Mike, let me shift over to the 2024 class for a moment, and things are going very well early on in this recruiting cycle. Aeneas Williams is a running back in the class of 2024. Gosh, I remember a pretty good Aeneas Williams who played cornerback for the Arizona Cardinals when I was growing up. But this is a different Aeneas Williams, and he's out of Missouri. So give us a little idea the Irish interest in Williams and what stands out about the player.
2: Um... He was really good at Irish invasion. You know, we got to watch him alongside the Notre Dame coaches that same day, and he put on a show. You know, I thought he looked outstanding running route. I mean, for running backs at a camp, I mean, wh- wh- what are you going to do? Like hand them the ball? a ton. I mean, it's, it's a it's a camp. They're not you know tackling each other. Yeah. You know, so it's the running backs really just get you know just kind of go through drills and and you know catch passes as receivers. And he was very good out of the slot too. So that's another good looking pass catching running back. Um, I mean, yeah, he. I I think he's one of the better prospects there. I believe we put him in our top five offensive performers from the Irish invasion camp, and in, in early June gets his offer that day, and um, he got an offer from Alabama a, a couple days before. So, you know, and and Knights Williams is someone who, you know, had visited Notre Dame before. He was on campus April second, really wanted that offer, so he came back in June and and got it, and, um, yeah, Notre Dame would be uh, ecstatic if they're end up getting Anais Williams. And he's going to be on campus for that July 26th cookout, um, big visitor day. So it'll be three visits um, in, in, what, three months um, for, for Anais Williams to Notre Dame, or four months. So, yeah, that would be pretty good.
1: And for people that are listening to this on the radio on WSBT, Radio Mike has a profile page up on our YouTube recording right now with Williams. Notre Dame, Kentucky, Missouri, Nebraska are the four schools that are listed at the top of the prediction chart at this particular time. You don't see Notre Dame and Kentucky head-to-head in football very often, but it looks like based on the projections, I know it's early on in the process, but kind of a coin flip at this time?
2: No, I I mean, you, if there's like a 20-sided coin, I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's early for him. I mean, the prediction machine, it, it's, it just goes on the data it's given. So it's its very early, and it's just kind of like where has he visited so far. So he's been to Kentucky a couple times, so it it likes them as well. But, yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't take too much stock of okay. that right now.
1: I'm a big fan of the projector, so just thought I would bring it up. Oh, me too. I love it. Me too. Okay, let's kind of do a, a, a little recap for a second since we're talking about running backs. I know we have people that jump on and off our show and hear your comments. So let's go back for a moment. The Irish have a commitment in the 23 class from running back Jaden Lamar. Uh, give me a little recap of what you remember about the recruitment of Lamar and what stands out on film about this very talented running back that picked the fighting Irish.
2: Yeah, really nice win for Notre Dame, beating out Oregon, Washington, several uh, West Coast schools, USC, UCLA. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a, a player who uh, former running backs coach um, Lance Taylor did a, a nice job recruiting. I think Notre Dame probably s- still would have landed him if, if, you know, Taylor were still the running backs coach at Notre Dame. Like, just seemed like a really strong Notre Dame fit from the get-go. Lamar. Um, visited for the USC game October um, of 2021, really liked what he saw there. Then there's that running backs coaching change, but Delane McCullough came in, built a strong connection with Lamar, um, Tommy Reese, Marcus Freeman, Chad Bowden, all these Notre Dame staffers, you know, just kind of made Lamar feel like home and um, just a combination of athletics and academics was just, um, you know, made, made Lamar want to take the plunge from the Pacific Northwest out to the Midwest. Um so it's it's a nice kid for Notre Dame. Lamar is um, it's kind of a, uh, that bowling ball type of running back. You know, he's 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 you know, not the tallest guy. He's about you know five ten. Um but you know he's thick, you know, hundred ninety, hundred ninety five pounds, probably will play at closer to two hundred pounds at Notre Dame, but still has, you know, legit track star speed. Um, you know, I, I wanna see a little bit more of him as a pass catcher um you know see him you know can he make guys miss in a phone booth i want to see more of him the senior season but the straight line speed is there and, and the, i like the body type as well there
1: mike as far as you know are the Irish still openly recruiting running backs in this class
2: yes absolutely yeah. jeremiah love st louis christian brothers that's the big one on the board five-star running back christian young or excuse me uh richard young Um, from Southwest Florida, left Notre Dame out of his top group. Um, I mean, Notre Dame felt really good um, in talking to sources after Young's official visit to Notre Dame, but, yeah, Irish just kind of trended away there. Um, So right now it looks like Jeremiah Love. If they don't land him, I think they'll kind of have to reassess the board because I do believe Love will commit to a school sooner than later.
1: So we got the Great House announcement coming up. Is there going to be a little lull after that? We're not expecting any commitments for a little while?
2: Expect the unexpected there.
1: <laughs> that should be your bubble. That's I got to say,
2: man. Yeah, pretty much.
1: All right, much. let's talk about folks that do not have a subscription to Blue and Gold Illustrated. For those six or seven people that don't have the subscription, tell them why they should jump aboard right now.
2: I mean, do you love Notre Dame? I mean, if you're a Michigan fan, you know, I, I get it. and You don't have to subscribe. Um, so I, I think some do just to check in on what, not, you know, Notre Dame's up to. But, I mean, if you're a Notre Dame fan, then you, you should subscribe. This is how you do it. Go to blueandgold.com. Type it in your web browser. You'll see it at the top. You know, site move special. Blue and Gold move from Rivals to the On3 Network um, January 1. And uh, it's a dollar for your first year. And you you get access to all of our content. Um, The message board, talk to thousands of other Notre Dame fans. I mean, we post like 10 articles a day that you can read. Um, Yeah, balloongold.com, definitely the place to be Interact with guys like me on our message board all the time. And uh, it's definitely um, a good spot for Notre Dame
1: fans. Absolutely. And for people listening on the radio that would like to check out the videos that we do, and you also have other videos you guys do throughout the week, What's the easiest way to find those videos on YouTube?
2: Yeah, just search, go into YouTube and search Darren Pritchett handsome <laughs> and that shit. Should... No, does that not do it, Darren?
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I think, think the put put in internet might blow up on that one.
2: <laughs> I think you just put in Blue and Gold Illustrated, Notre Dame, you know, just kind of anything like that, searching on YouTube, should be able to find that, no problem.
1: All right, or just type in Mike Singer recruiting expert. That's probably the safer <laughs> of the two choices. <laughs> Hey, enjoy your vacation, man. You've earned it. You've had a heck of a summer, and we're only halfway through the summer, as a matter of fact. Football season's right around the corner, so thanks for all your insight, for what you do, and kick your feet up and turn that computer off for a couple of days.
2: I'm not taking the computer, so yeah, should be good there. Good for you. Hey, we'll
1: talk to you soon.
2: All right. Sounds good.
1: That's Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, BlueandGold.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports Beat continues next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: Money, money, money. Water, 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 water. Show me the money. <laughs> we go with <and> Sisla. <laughs> we go with Sisla.
1: It is time for our sports wagering segment on Budweiser's weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Your time is 6:38 on this Tuesday evening. I mentioned on last night's program during this segment. I think it was seven consecutive shows. My suggestion record daily was either one and three or three and one. Well, we snapped that streak last night with a 2-2 two and two performance. Let's recap what happened last night. My first suggestion from last night's program, Guardians and White Sox from Cleveland. The Guardians at home were actually a slight underdog in this matchup against Lance Lynn and the Southsiders. I went with the Guardians backing Cal Quantrill over Lance Lynn. And I took the Guardians on the money line against the Sox at minus 105. Turned out to be a good suggestion. The Guardians double up the White Sox 8-4. The second suggestion last night, Phillies and Cardinals in St. Louis wrapping up a four-game series. Two outstanding starting pitchers dueling Aaron Nola for the Phillies, Miles Michaelis for St. Louis, I mentioned one of the major reasons why I took Philadelphia in this matchup was the fact that St. Louis does not score for Miles Michaelis. There's always that one guy on the pitching staff that never gets offensive support in a year. Michaelis is that guy for St. Louis. So behind Nola, I went with the Phillies on the money line, a road favorite over the Cardinals at minus 125. Well, it was one nothing Phillies in the fifth inning before the St. Louis offense got to Nola. Michaelis was really good. Lost that suggestion. The Cardinals cruised to a 6-1 victory over the Phillies. But we had a second suggestion on that Phillies-Cardinals game. I just mentioned they don't score for Michaelis. Well, they did last night. But fortunately, Michaelis shut down the Phillies because I took the Phillies-Cardinals total runs under seven and a half runs Got it at a pretty good number at minus 105, so we were slightly the underdog on that pick. And 6-1 was the final. We won it by a half a run. The wager was on the line in the ninth inning with two outs. The Phillies had the eighth run of the ball game on second base, but they could not score. So we won that wager by a half a run. Phillies Cardinals under seven and a half runs at minus minus. 105. So the two 105s we hit last night. For suggestion from last night's program, Red Sox and Rays down in Tampa. Red Sox have played great ball lately, except when I choose them in my wagering segment. I don't think I've won on the Red Sox in a couple of weeks. Lesson learned, I'm done. I'm off the Red Sox bandwagon because I took the Sox on the money line against the Rays last night at minus 115. The game was 5-5 in the middle innings but Tampa Bay walked away with a 10-5 victory over Boston. So a 2 and 2 night last night. So we're 2 and 2 for the week, 14 and 15 for the month of July and for the season 12 games over 564 52 and 1. Our underdog pick last night it has to be a plus number to fall into the underdog category. Last night, I went with the Diamondbacks on the money line on the road against the San Francisco Giants. Merrill Kelly against Alex Cobb. They met in the desert last week. I went with the D-backs, lost, bullheaded. Let's go for it again. And last night, the Diamondbacks pulled it out. Diamondbacks won 4-3. So our underdog pick, the D-backs on the money line at plus 135 hit last night. So... My underdog record for the year is now 15 and 13. We're in the plus in that category. Let's shift gears to Tuesday's suggestions here on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Let's start with the Twins and the Brewers up in Minnesota. The Twins lead the AL Central. The Brew Crew leads the NL Central. Your matchup tonight, Jason Alexander for the Brew Crew, Josh Winder for the Twins. I've lost a couple of times going against Winder and the Twins. It's never too late to jump on the bandwagon. I think the Twins will get to Alexander tonight. I'm going with the Twins on the money line over the Brewers at minus 145. Suggestion number two tonight. The Dodgers taking on the Cardinals in St. Louis, the opener of a three-game series. I'm going with the Dodgers on the run line against St. Louis. Dodgers minus one and a half runs against the Redbirds, mainly because Matthew Libertor is on the mound for St. Louis. I think he is a pitcher that can be a number three type guy in St. Louis's rotation going forward. He's a rookie. South Bend saw him with Bowling Green during their 2019 championship run. He's got a great curveball, but he leaves a lot of pitches over the middle of the plate. Got to get away from the middle of the plate. This is the wrong team to find the middle of the plate, the L.A. Dodgers. So I'm going Dodgers minus one and a half runs at St. Louis at plus 110. Suggestion number three for tonight. It's the Nationals. And the Mariners meeting in D.C. This is a coin flip game between these two teams. The Mariners coming on strong. They're back in the wild card chase in the America League. The Nationals are just having fun at this particular time. And that's just about it. I've told you if you've listened to the program, I'm a big fan of this young pitcher the Nationals got in the Max Scherzer-Trey Turner deal with the Dodgers, Josiah Gray. He's been up and down. As a rookie, we've hit on a couple of his successful starts this year. So let's go to it again. Even though the Mariners are red hot, going across the country to take on the Nationals, let's go with Josiah Gray and the Nationals on the money line at minus 110. Again, this is a coin flip game according to BetMGM. And the fourth and final suggestion for tonight, I am going with a two-team Major League Baseball parlay. After my opening segment tonight, talking about the dilemma that the White Sox have. Can their club get out of this funk and get back in the race? And what do you do with Tony La Russa with some of the decisions he has made? With all that being said, I am backing the White Sox tonight as game one of this two-game parlay. Sox on the money line at the Guardians. I'll take the White Sox in this spot with Dylan Cease on the mound against Connor Pilkington. Cease is going to come through for me tonight. I just know it. And the other part of the parlay, Braves and Mets battling for the top spot in the National League East. I'm going with the Braves behind their hard-throwing right-hander, Spencer Strider, who might have the best-looking mustache in Major League Baseball, which is very important in this wager. So let's go with the Braves on the money line to wrap up this parlay. So White Sox and Braves parlay, and we get the parlay at plus 135. So again, our four suggestions for tonight. We have the Twins on the money line over the Brewers at minus 145. The Dodgers minus one and a half runs at St. Louis at plus 110. The Nationals at home on the money line against the Mariners at minus 110. And my two-team parlay going with the White Sox and the Braves on the money line at plus 135. Now to our underdog pick of the night. And my underdog pick, I'm going with Andrew Bellotti. Go get him, Andrew. Who is he? Yeah, He's a Philly starting pitcher. Jose Berrios has not been good this year for Toronto. The ERA well above five. Against better offenses, he has not been very good. So, why not, Andrew Baladi? Our underdog pick tonight the Phillies on the money line up in Toronto against the Blue Jays at plus 155. That's our sports wagering segment. We go into Sizzler for this Tuesday evening. We're winding down this installment of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: In 1922, we began broadcasting under the call letters WGAZ, the world's greatest automotive zone. Now, we're your home for the fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the best sports talk in South Bend. Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT, celebrating 100 years of broadcasting in 2022.
1: at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Quick recap, some breaking news that happened at the start of the program. The Chicago Bears have acquired Inkeel Harry, a wide receiver from the New England Patriots, for a seventh-round pick. Henry was a guy taken by the Patriots in 2019 in the first-round pick, number 32 overall out of Arizona State, but he just did not perform well in Foxboro. And the Patriots have given up on their first-round pick from three years ago. The Bears are trying to kind of hit the lottery here and find something, in this guy that was well thought of coming out of Arizona State, as they will get him for just a seventh-round pick, and there, in my opinion, is a need to upgrade. And wide receiver for the Bears will see if Henry – can be that guy, I'm sorry, Harry, Inkeel. Harry is his name, and we'll see if he can impact this Bears roster in 2022. There definitely is a need for an upgrade at the wide receiver position outside of Darnell Mooney. So Inkeel Harry is the newest member of the Chicago Bears. The Fighting Irish have their new baseball coach, Sean Stifler, comes from Virginia Commonwealth to become the 22nd head coach In Notre Dame baseball history, Jack Swarbrick, at a press release, said, quote, he's a perfect fit to lead our nationally respected program both on and off the field as his approach to coaching and culture mirrors that of our institution, end quote. Stifler said in a press release put out by Notre Dame, quote, Notre Dame is the finest university in the country. It challenges everyone to become the best version of themselves, and I cannot wait to continue recruiting, developing, and working with student-athletes with that type of mindset, end quote. He comes from VCU, where he won the Atlantic 10 regular season championship three times. He led VCU to the NCAA tournament three times, including... The last two years, 2015, they won the Dallas Baptist Regional Championship, beating Dallas Baptist and Oregon State before going to the Super Regional and losing to the Miami Hurricanes. So, Sean Stifler, who led VCU to at least 34 wins in each of his last eight full seasons, is the new head coach of the Fighting Irish Baseball program. He will be introduced on Thursday. Budweiser's Weekday sports speed has been brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend baseball fans. This Bud's for you. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop. Where new beginnings have happy endings. And by Barnabys of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. South Bend Cubs baseball starts in 25 minutes on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, Sports Radio 960 WSBT.